Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on the journey for a Les Paul. The Gibson Les Paul, designed by John Hewis, Ted McCarty, and a guy named Lester Pulsvus, who went by Les Paul, was a guitar produced in response to the popularity found in Fender's solid body guitar called the Telecaster. Now, it's not like the idea wasn't already there. A few years earlier, Les Paul came to Gibson with an idea to make a solid body guitar, but the idea was dismissed and an iconic instrument was almost never made. To be clear, this therapy session is not about the history of a Les Paul guitar. This session is about the journey to find one. But what features make a guitar a Les Paul? Is there a Les Paul tone? Why did it take so long to find the right one? Are the lawsuit guitars just as good? And which LP style guitar out there is the best bang for buck? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. It is an awesome pleasure of mine to be back on the Tweed Couch with Lloyd, who helped me in my journey, my quest for Marshall Tone. And now to talk with you again about our quest for a Les Paul. So thank you, Lloyd, for being back on the couch with me. Ah, it's a comfortable couch. It's good to be back. I've been away too long. (laughs) (laughs) So this time, what we are going to get into is we're going to get into choosing a Les Paul. Now, it's a little controversial because for some people, Les Pauls are anything that has the name on the headstock. And other people, it's like, no, a Les Paul is something that was made while Les Paul actually sanctioned it. And then other people are like, no, 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 no. Whatever Gibson puts out, that's a Les Paul. So really, I think what we need to define first is what features, just the features, what features are necessary in order to call a guitar a Les Paul? Well, my feature number one is that name on the headstock. If it doesn't say Gibson and Les Paul on it, it's not really a Les Paul. Yeah. Well, so it has to say Gibson and Les Paul. It can't say Epiphone and uh, Les Paul. Well, Epiphone's owned by Gibson. So I'll let that one, I'll let that one slide, but they, they own the rights to the name Les Paul. Nobody else can, can put that name on the guitar. So it's kind of a cop-out answer, but really it's, it's, it's what I think. If it's, there's a lot of great guitars out there that, you know, some would say even maybe better than, but if it doesn't have that name on it, it's like, well, let's not call it a Les Paul. Let's call it a style Les Paul. There have been a lot of lawsuits because of uh, the shape. Well, right. I mean, Jason and I talked about how really you can't call it a Telecaster because that's copyrighted. You can call it a T-style guitar or maybe there's an sure. S-style guitar. So really, LP-style, I guess, is something that you could use as well. Yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll let I'll let LP work. But we can't call it Les Paul. And, and I get what you're saying, and I'm with you. Actually, to me, this is one of my little things, is I'm fine with somebody calling their Epiphone a Les Paul. I'm fine with that. But when somebody yeah. says, 
hey, I've got a Les Paul, I immediately go, well, then it's a Gibson. Sure. And if you don't have a Gibson Les Paul, then you have to disclose that it is an Epiphone Les Paul. You know, I have no problem telling people, yeah, I play a Les Paul. But if I played an Epiphone, I would say, I play an Epiphone Les Paul. I would. I would too. And so, to me, a feature that I would say something that has to be, in order for it to be truly called, just called a Les Paul, it has to have a Gibson logo. That's, That's just me. That's number one for me. Okay. Well, what else do you have? An arch top. It can't be a flat top. It's got to have that. It's got to have the right body okay. style. Okay. Well, so now you've knocked out Les Paul Jr., the Les Paul Special, mm-hmm. and yep. the 1961 SG, which was actually a Les Paul because it didn't have a true arch top. I know. Which is what I was saying that it's, for me, that's what I want. It's, you know what's uh, funny? You say that, and I actually have the same thing written down. <laughs> To me, it's not a Les Paul unless it has that Gibson logo, but it also needs to have an arch top. It really does. You don't even need to interview me, Stephen. You know exactly what I'm going to say. We are too much alike. We are kindred spirits for sure. Okay, well, do you have anything else? Um, It's got to be a single cutaway. <laughs> I have that on my list as well. It has to be a single cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What else? That's probably it. Is uh, What's on your list? I only have one other thing that's different from you. And to me, if it has, it has a Gibson logo, it has a, a single cut, it has that arch top, it needs one more thing for me to say, this is a Les Paul. And that is the, is it toggle, the toggle switch up at the top. <laughs> yes, that's it. I had to jump in there and guess that. Without the toggle switch... It's wrong. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's interesting because some people will say, well, it's also got to have the Gibson headstock. Well, it actually doesn't bother me. They did a a short run with the Explorer style headstock. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. It literally has everything to do with the body. I don't mind if it has three pickups or just one pickup. It does have to have humbuckers. I guess I could add that. You know, I would agree with that too. Although P90s, yeah. I'll let I'll let slide. Oh, that's fair. You're right. Mm-hmm. P90s, I will totally let slide. Yep. Well, what's interesting about our conversation at this point is I've also pretty much defined. If you take away the Gibson logo, you take away the Les Paul name, I pretty much defined Gretsch guitars. I've pretty much defined, I've defined the 72 custom Telecaster. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've put in PRS single cuts to some extent. So it's important that we have certain qualifiers because if you don't have all this, then you could just say anything's a Les Paul, right? Yeah, except for the name. And and a lot of those guitars I would love to play. Oh, yeah. Uh, But yeah, if it doesn't, but it's still, it's a different guitar. So if that if those are criteria that we need in order for us to call it a Les Paul, those are all aesthetics. Those are all features. What about the tone? What is the tone of a Les Paul? When I think Les Paul, I think uh, meaty. You know how do you describe tone? But yeah, but that yeah, I think seriously. Meaty, you know, um, you know, more thicker in the mids. 
you know, like a telly, I think it was more of like a, a scoop sound. You know, you mm-hmm. can just, most times when I plug in a telly, I want to crank up the mids because I'm so used to the mids just being there with the Les Paul. You know, it's got the highs, right. it's got the lows, but it's just, it's big in the middle. And uh, there are other guitars yep. that sound like that kind of too, but that's what set it apart when it first came out. When I think of the Gibson Les Paul sound, I think of Jimmy Page. I think of Allman Brothers. Mm-hmm. I think of Slash and his focused mids. Yes. I think of Billy Gibbons and the way that he pings a string and he gets this harmonic and the note all at the same time. I think of Les Paul. So with all of that motivation that is there, a Les Paul sound for me, that neck has to be big and it has to be round and it has to be girthy. So it's like a single coil on steroids. It's just, it's not, it's not a single coil, but it's, it's just so big, but yet it can be clean and bluesy. And, and the bridge, the bridge has to be just, you know, full of bright mids and just Mm -hmm. bitey and almost wanting to just take your head off. And you have to tame it with that tone knob and you or or add a different pedal to it and then when you put it to the middle it's got to be so chimey with both pickups that there's a clarity to it yeah and that describes a les paul to me now granted i describe the perfect les paul and not all of them sound like that yeah but that is what comes to mind yeah and i love all the tones that you described yep uh, the guys, you know, Billy Gibbons, uh, for instance, you know, it's 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 that bridge pickup. It's that it's just that big, massive, overdriven tone, which is connected to um, both of our love of the Marshall because they just they're just a perfect marriage for yep. when you want when you want gain. Oh. They're just they're just beautiful together. Yes. Another guy that I'll add there that uh, I would few people would think of, uh, but it was my early memories and thanks to uh, MTV was uh, the band Def Leppard. And they had a song called Bring It On The Heartbreak. Yes. And they they did a video. I don't know if you've ever yes. seen the video. Yeah, it's Bring a great song. And they uh, when they videoed the solo, uh, the guitarist who was with the band then, he's passed away uh, years ago now, it's a guy named Steve Clark. Now, this is in the middle of the 80s, and uh, yep. beginning of the 80s. And I think it was like 84 and MTV was just hitting, and uh, and it was an outdoor shot of him doing the solo for uh, for bringing on the heartbreak. And he was out in uh, like they, they said it was like 28 degrees, <laughs> and he looks really <laughs> pale. When you see the the video of it, it's like there's just the there every every uh, breath is just like he's smoking a cigarette, like he's chain smoking. There's just so much <laughs> steam coming from his nostrils, and and he looks and he looks totally pale. And he's just, as as, uh, as you would say, he's rocking real hard, but he yep. was playing a Les Paul, struck really low. Oh, and, yeah. And when I first started playing a Les Paul, I tried, to, I tried to play it really low like that. And to this day, I don't know how guys do it. It looks yeah. so awesome. Oh, it but does. I just, I just can't do it. But that's how he played it. And, uh, and so Steve Clark is, uh, is, is right up there as one of my early 
early that, and you know, and there wasn't anybody else I knew that was playing a Les Paul because, you know, in the in the mid '80s, around the time everybody was starting to play the the Pink, you know, Jacksons and Ibanezes and things oh, yeah. like that. And I'm like, what's this? What's this guitar that this guy's playing? You know, from that day on, I was kind of enamored by him. Well, okay, so you know that that brings up an interesting point. You know, so you're talking about that Les Paul tone. We're talking about all those features and everything that goes with it. Ultimately you had to have found yourself with a Les Paul. And I find this with most people, most people who admire the Les Paul really well, whether it ends up being their first guitar or possibly their second guitar, at some point in their life, if they're true fanatics, they end up with a Les Paul. So in your journey, what took you so long to finally get the right Les Paul? I was 140 pounds when I started playing guitar. <laughs> That's as much and, as a Les Paul weighs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And my first electric guitar was a, uh, it was actually one of the first lawsuit guitars, Ibanez. Ibanez, uh, made yes. A, made, made a uh, Les Paul copy. And this thing was uh, solid maple, neck and body and top. You know, it had everything except the name on it, you know, humbucker, yep. all that. And uh, I found that in a uh, an ad in the paper, and I went and got it. You know, it's like only I got it for two hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, it, to the, now I go back and go, it had to be worth a lot more than that. Yeah, maybe. But this guitar weighed three thousand pounds, <laughs> and I weighed hundred and forty pounds, and I still have kind of a notch, you know, behind over my shoulder on the right side from the weight. <laughs> a divot. <laughs> I mean, it kind of, it, I have a divot. Just pulled it right down there. <laughs> it might have been why I broke my collarbone. It just weakened that yeah, point maybe. so much, and that eventually it. it just gave way. But that guitar. It kind of did me in a little while uh, because of the weight of it and because of, as you had mentioned earlier, the 80s kind of messed me up. Nobody was playing Les Pauls in the 80s. And yeah. so I was like, I need something different. And so, you know, I ended up buying a, a Kramer because that's what, you know, Eddie Van Halen was making popular. Oh, yeah. And I still have that guitar. And okay. it actually is a really great guitar. Yeah. But... Um, I went from that, and I had that for a while. When I was first on a youth encounter group, I played that both years. And then I thought, well, I needed I needed a Stratocaster. You know, we started moving into that. Of course. And so for years, yeah. I, I played the Strat. And I never really looked back at the Les Pauls because my memory of them was that they were just so heavy. And again, nobody was playing them. Right. Uh, we're talking about up through like mid-90s now. Newer companies that were coming out that with other guitars that were really cool, like like Paul Reed Smith. And, and it was like, okay, well, mm-hmm. the only guy I remembered playing a Les Paul was still Steve Clark from Def Leppard and nobody else. Right. And so I'm like, well, that's what nobody's playing these. And then one day I walked into a guitar store, um, Encore Music that you know in uh, downtown Minneapolis. Yes. And yeah. uh, they had a bunch of Les Pauls hand on the wall. And I just went in there uh, just to talk to Chad, the owner of the place. And so yeah. before I even... Chad's a cool dude. Yeah. He is. He He's a no-nonsense kind of guy. And he's highly opinionated. But that's actually what I kind of like about Me him. Me too. Is as long as you realize that he's no-nonsense and highly opinionated, you get to go, oh, well, that's your opinion. And I'll just take it or leave it. That's it. Yeah. And that's all he wants from you. 
Take it or leave it. That's right. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't really want the conversation anyway. Nope. <laughs> you gonna buy something? No. All right. Well, whatever. Go play things. <laughs> well, the other thing that kept me away from him was that I have smaller hands. Yeah. All the Les Pauls that I had played, the real Les Pauls, which weren't that many, I never really gravitated to pulling one off the wall because I knew that from experience they were heavy, and the neck just felt really big and thick. And my hands were so yeah. small, it just didn't feel right. And so I never even considered a Les Paul. And so I walked into Encore, and there was this uh, gold top. Uh, it ended up being a, a 1976 gold top, Les Paul standard. And it was uh, just hanging behind uh, Chad's head. While we were talking, I said, oh, can I look at this? I thought it looked kind of cool. And he had a stool sitting right in front of the counter. And so I hopped up on the stool and he handed it to me. And I just sat there without plugging it in while we were having our conversation. I wasn't really focused on the guitar because I was going to go play an amp. I wasn't really looking at the guitar. And I started right. playing around on it. And I realized how right this guitar felt in my hands. Yeah. And I was like, what's up with this? And that's when I learned about the 60s neck. Uh. In the 60s. Because people with smaller hands, they uh, yep. they made a slimmer neck that wasn't so big and girthy. Yep. And that's what this guitar had. And I didn't yep. even know that existed. Yeah, actually, it was Les Paul who was the person who ultimately came up with this idea. That was that was part of his big issue was he had, you know, 57, 58, 59. He had these big old thick necks, all that kind of stuff. But Les Paul was a fast player. To be able to move up and down the neck was really important to him. So when he moved from the 59, 60, and then the 61 being an SG style, even though it wasn't called the SG yet, that neck was thinner as well. And he preferred the thinner neck. And that's where that 60s neck came in was actually 1960, 1961 necks that came up because of Les Paul. Yeah, I forgot that he played an SG later. That he's switched to that. Yeah. After he moved well, on. Well, but from it his... wasn't called an SG. It was just his new Les Paul. Yeah. Because if you remember, they were called Les Pauls, and then mm -hmm. they got switched from Les Paul to being called the SG. And actually, the SG is the longest continuous production model of Gibson ever. Yeah. 1961. 1961. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's go ahead and get back on topic. So we're talking about the idea of finding the one, and you obviously bought that one, right? Yes. I came home and told Tanya, I kind of apologized to her, which I know you have done and to your Tanya's wife many your wife. times. Yes. My yep. lovely, uh, the fetching Mrs. Garlts. I uh, came to her and I was like, I was like, Tanya, I, I think I need to buy a guitar. She actually <laughs> took it really well. But I was like, well, it how helps do you... that you don't come home with guitars often. Yeah. Yeah. You know about that. But I, yeah. I uh, was like, you know, it's, it's the first guitar that really felt right in my hands. How do I, how do I yeah. not buy that? What's funny is, you know, you mentioned Chad earlier, who is always straightforward, yeah. you know, <laughs> and brutally honest. So I sat there with it and told him, you know, I went, man, this guitar feels special to me. And he started telling me about, well, that's a 76, and there's something about the 76s, and I don't know, if, whatever. Yeah, of course. But what's funny, brutally honest guy, is I said, what do you think? And he goes... I don't think you're a gold top guy. 
<laughs> he actually he actually tried to talk me out of buying it. And I didn't buy it right yeah. then. I went home and I talked to Tanya. And then I did actually, I went to another store in St. Paul called Willie's. Also a great yeah. vintage store. Willie's American Guitar Store. Yeah. yeah and, and for the same price, they had a black custom that I probably should have gotten. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure it was worth more now than what mine is. But who cares yeah. really about it? And it was nice, too, because it had the 60s neck as well. And I went, oh, okay, there's yeah. more than just this one Les Paul. It's really the neck that uh, makes yeah. it feel right for me. And so, yeah, I right. picked it up and uh, played it for a bunch of years and still got it. And that's the beauty of it is that, you know, when you find the one, the one that you bond with first and the one that you bond with the most, if you can afford it, why not? Why not go ahead and grab it? Yeah. How do you kick that to the curb? Oh, yeah. If you can afford it, why would you not get it? All right. Well, okay. Well, for me, when I got my first taste of Les Paul, I was actually getting ready to play for the youth group and I was in high school and I grew up as a Strat guy. I had this nice Mexican Strat that I really enjoyed. And a buddy of mine said, oh, my dad's got a couple of guitars. You want me to bring them? And I went, sure, go ahead and bring them. And what he brought was something from the 70s. And I don't know what year it was. And honestly, I wish I knew more about it. But what he brought was this 1970s gold sparkle Les Paul. And I have never seen something from this era be gold sparkle. And I don't know if it had mini buckers. I don't remember. I do know it had some sort of a chrome pickup on the front. So whether it was mini buckers or humbuckers, I don't know. But I do know that it's rare because I cannot find this again. Hmm. And he actually still goes to our church and I need to find out what happened to that guitar because hmm. it, it, I would love to find out. but. I remember getting that guitar and him giving it to me and me playing it. And I got done playing it going, yeah, yeah, that was all right. And Hmm. I'm sure it was awesome. (laughs) I just didn't know what all right was and what good Mm -hmm. was. But it wasn't until I was searching for my own Les Paul. And I played with a band. I played with Second Adam. And we were kind of getting started. And I had a 1996 CE22 Paul Reed Smith. Mm-hmm. It's the guitar that we refer to as our guitar. Yes. Still do. And it because it's it is a magical guitar. It sounds amazing especially in the studio. It sounds amazing. And you hardly ever play it. And I hardly ever play it because <laughs> I don't play much in the studio anymore, you know, and when I do, I need a telly or something. Mm-hmm. But I just remember having that guitar and going, "Well, I'm starting this new band. We're mostly rock and roll." We want to kind of have this idea of more of like that 60s, 70s vibe. And I went, I need a Les Paul. And I didn't really set myself a budget. I set myself a tone. And I went, I want to find the tone I want. And I went into guitar centers for probably four or five months. I kept going into guitar center every couple of weeks, different guitar centers around the Twin Cities because I lived in Minneapolis at the time. And I played Les Paul standards and I played Les Paul classics and I played Les Paul studios and I played Les Paul customs and I went from place to place and I was like, okay, what am I trying to find? And then I decided to play single cuts uh, of PRSs because I went, well, I'm a PRS guy. So maybe 
a PRS single cut, like a 245. Or mm-hmm. honestly, I like Tremlos. So maybe a single cut trim, which they did at that time. And I was just moving around trying to find what it is that I liked. And what I kept coming back to was the Les Paul Classic, which is interesting because I could have bought a custom. I could have bought a standard. I could have bought a studio, but the studio didn't have binding and I wanted binding. It Mm -hmm. it didn't fit the look. Yep. And I kept going back to the classic and ultimately that's what I ended up with. It was one of those things that like that grouping, that branding is what kept going. I kept coming back to it was the best bang for buck. I didn't like the burst buckers that they had at the time. The Les Paul customs sounded too dark to me. And it was just something about the Les Paul classic that made me end up going to it. And so I remember coming home, telling my wife, okay, here's all I played. And so I did a completely different album than you did. The way that I went about it was I said, okay, I played a $3,300 one. I played a $2,400 one. I also played a $1,300 one. But the $1,800 one is the one that felt the best. And she was like, well, whatever. <laughs> you know, if, if we've got the money in the budget, go ahead and do it. And I found one online. I bought it on eBay. Yeah, I remember that. I was scared because who knew? But I shipped to my door. I had a one-year-old mm. Les Paul Classic. Mm. And everything about it was perfect. Yeah, see, you found your Les Paul where my Les Paul found me. Yeah, I no, that's true. I wasn't looking. I, nope. I still thought I had my 140-pound frame, which I didn't. It was long, long gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's interesting now, though, is that I've tried all these different guitars, and, and you know, obviously I've got the ones that I have, but what I want, I would love to have an R9 like a reissue 59 or yep. an R8, mm-hmm. a reissue 58. And actually you would probably more appreciate the RO, the sixties, because it is a thinner neck mm-hmm. and you know, and everything. But the problem I have is I'm not going to spend upwards of $6,000 for yeah. something that will probably not make me that much happier than what I already have. Nope. Mm-mm. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Let's hear from another sponsor. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, if you love family friendly, if you love camping, then you should look into LifeFest. LifeFest is one of the largest Christian music festivals in America and draws attendees from across the United States to worship together, deepen their faith, and strengthen relationships with family and friends. This three-day event features dozens of artists, engaging seminars, and much more. This year, in 2021, we have two festivals. Come join a party with a purpose in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, on July 8th through 11th, or on the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bon Agua, Tennessee, on July 29th through 31st. I'll see you there. So that brings up an interesting point in the sense that if 
we're already happy with our Les Pauls. Can an SG or an Explorer or a Flying V or an Electric Spanish, an ES, sound Hmm. like an LP? Can any other Gibson guitar sound like a Les Paul? I think it's kind of how it's being used. My initial thought is, well, there's a lot of guitars that can sound very similar. It really has more to do with how you set up an amp, the style of music you're playing, your fingers, because everybody really does have a sound. And I know it's kind of a trope to say it's all in the fingers, but, you know, it really is. But I think, you know, when when I think like Les Paul, I'm really not thinking jazz. I'm not really thinking of, of cleaner tones. And I'm thinking yeah, more they can of, do it. You can do it. They do. They do a beautiful job doing. It. I mean, Les Paul, you know, <laughs> played yeah. a lot. Of, that's, oh yeah. Initially, that's what he was doing with the smooth wound strings, and you know, it sounded great. Oh yeah. But I think of gain, you know. And so once you're once you're putting a bunch of distortion into your sound through an amp, you take any of those that you mentioned. There's not going to be a night and day difference in what they sound like. You know, yeah. it's still a solid chunk of wood. It's not a hollow body. Yeah. If it's got the humbucker pickups and it's a solid chunk of wood, made by, they aren't going to sound that much different. I think it comes more down to just how does it feel? Does the guitar make you want to play at that point? Yeah. Um, the SGs, um, I wish I could like them, but they're just, you know, I have to hold it up with my left hand because that headstock always pulls yeah, it down. Yeah, that neck dive. Yeah. And so uh, yeah. I, I love the way they sound, but... Um, I stay away from them for that reason. I actually had a black 2005 SG and I got a great deal on it. And the reason why I sold it was because it had neck dive, but I own an SG now and that SG has zero neck dive. Hmm. And it's actually the reason why I bought it. I found it. I played it in store and I went, that guitar, the neck does not dive. Huh. Sold. I didn't know uh, it because, existed. Yes, and, oh, and, it, and it sounds great. So I, I have an SG. Oh, yay. It has 57 classic pickups in it. I have an Explorer. It has burst buckers in it. I have an ES-355. It has 57 classics in it. And although I would love to say it sounds like a Les Paul, I would say... You can make them sound like a Les Paul, but when they're in my hands, they feel different than a Les Paul. Sure. And because they feel different, I play different. Yep. So could they sound like a Les Paul? Sure. But a Les Paul, and and as as cheesy as this is going to sound, is more than the guitar. It's the marriage, and you taught me this, it's the marriage of all things put together. Mm-hmm. So that sound, that feel, the way I play is a marriage between my fingers, my body, my attitude, my guitar, my strings, my pickups, my pedals, my amp. And then how the person mixing out front decides to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so I, I think that's a lot to it. Now, with that said, can a Strat or a Telly sound like a Les Paul? <laughs> Sorry, Paul. I think Paul would say yes. <laughs> or at least he tried to yeah. convince me that a while ago. I don't know if he'd say that anymore now that he has the uh, Gibson U, uh, what is it, 330? 
four? It's the ES-333. 333, which sounds very... Le- we, we brought my Les Paul, uh, my classic, to his house one time, and we compared both of them. And uh, it did sound very close to a regular Les Paul, close enough that uh, yeah. he would never need to buy a Les Paul. It's part of the reason why I sold it to him, because I remember playing it and my Les Paul and going... They sound so close. I don't need both. Yeah. And I sold it. <laughs> you know? But uh, it, it's such a great guitar. I uh, love that guitar. It is. Um, so, uh, but can a Tele and a Strat sound like a Les Paul? I don't think so. And it's uh, the combination of the woods and obviously the pickup. It, they, mm-hmm. they are a different animal. In the bridge style. Yeah, all of that. And honestly, even the neck angle and the way it goes through the nut and yep. all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they are completely different animals. Um, if I was going to do stuff all over again, it'd be interesting to me to know if I would have found the right telly starting off. I wonder if I would be as much of a Les Paul guy that I am now than uh, if I would have stuck with the telly a little bit more. Because mm. one of the things that kept me away from a Strat... Uh, is it, it never felt? I always loved. I love the sound of a Strat. I love it when I hear other people play a Strat. That's the reason I got one. But yeah. it never felt right in my hands. And part of the reason was is that dang volume knob right below the uh, the pickup. I, I I always turn the guitar down while I'm playing. My the way I play. I guess I have my hand so far back on the bridge that I just I kept hitting that. I actually made myself bleed before. You know, hitting that sucker. Yeah. Whereas Tellys, it's all out of the way. It's down below. Yeah. And, and also, same mm-hmm. thing with the Les Paul. The volume and knobs, yep. are, everything's out of the way. And so those are my two favorite guitars, probably for that, mainly for that reason, because it's ultimately, how does it feel? Does it make you want to play it? Yep. You know, how's, and both of those guitars feel right in my hands. And I would agree with you. Uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I could never make a Strat sound exactly like I wanted. And I realized this when I bought my Paul Reed Smith because I played a Strat. I enjoyed the Strat, but I also modified it a ton. I put different pickups in it. I put a different switch in it. I put different pots in it. I put a different neck on it. I had different tuners. I had all these things that I changed, changed, changed. And then one day I decided I'm getting a Paul Reed Smith because those are all the bands that I liked at the time. They played Paul Reed Smith. So I bought a Paul Reed Smith, and I went, this is it. Mm-hmm. And that Strat, I sold it. Mm-hmm. And I never looked back. And then all of a sudden, I had a chance at a Telecaster. And I bought a Telecaster, and I went, well, that sounds great. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, what are you into? What makes the sound in your head with the fingers in which you're playing it and, you know, everything. What what makes that sound that you're looking for? And the sound I heard Stevie Ray Vaughan, Kenny Wayne Shepard, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Eric Johnson, you know, that sound that I went, dang, they sound so good. I couldn't make that happen with a Strat. So I, I, I get what you're talking about with that. Now, that actually brings up one more extension to this question, which is, what about other guitars like a Paul Reed Smith or a Kramer or an Ibanez or something like that? Can they sound like a Les Paul? My Kramer does not sound like a Les Paul. 
<laughs> it uh, even with the Seth lovers, even with the Seth lovers, it uh, yeah. So um, again, it depends on what kind of tone you have dialed up on whether it'd be really noticeable. But if you if you just you take those guitars and you plug into just a Vox amp with even if slightly jangly or a clean tone, and you hit a chord, they sound totally different. You know, yeah. and a lot of it again is that it's just not meaty. It doesn't have the mids that a Les Paul has, even though it's got the yeah. humbucker pickup and it's a solid body. You know, they they are different. Obviously, you can dial in a tone if you want with an amp to make them sound really similar, like we talked about. Uh, but just in themselves, no, they don't. Except now the Paul Reed Smith single cut, yeah, it really does because it there was a lawsuit because it was too much like a Les Paul. Uh, yeah, know. well, but they lost because it wasn't enough like it. Yeah. But I I have heard some pretty cool things. And actually, if you look, Tim Pierce is a really good one who did a nice A-B between things. I believe that uh, Rick Beto did one and a few different people did it on YouTube. But they took the new McCarty, basically the 59 styled Paul Reed Smith and then went up against... Les Pauls, like an actual 59 Les Paul, and they A-B'd between them, and it's actually really hard to decipher which one's which. Sure. Like, they've done such a good job of making that Les Paul sound, but then again, there's a lot of tone in those fingers, Yeah. and you know, so there's that aspect too, and then of course, YouTube is compressing like mad, so you're not going to hear all the nuances and everything like that, but I do know that I was shocked to see a Les Paul sound come from a double cutaway Paul Reed Smith. Mm-hmm. So do I think that a Paul Reed Smith can handle it and can do it? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Do I think a Tokai Love Rock can do it? Yeah, I think it can do it. Have I heard some Ibanez or some Greco or some Bernie sound a lot like it? I have, and I think a lot of it comes down to it's that appreciation of the sound. It's still not a Les Paul, but mm-hmm. can it sound like it? Sure. If I were to put it into my hands, probably not, because I am one of those people that the mojo does also come from the name and the style and what it is and, that I'm playing. And in the mix with uh, in a band, you you won't notice a difference. That's probably very true. So I guess that actually leads us to probably our last thing to talk about, which is for you, what do you think is the best bang for buck LP styled guitar? There's a lot out there. Um, And so I haven't played all of them living out in the middle of nowhere. I don't get to the guitar centers and sort of like they used to. Uh, because the nearest guitar center is like an hour and a half it's, away. It's it's quite a ways. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I have but I have played a few. Um, but what are we talking about? Are we talking are we talking bang for the buck? Are we talking like twelve hundred bucks less? Or are we talking like five hundred dollars? I would say the bang for buck really comes down to what gets you the most of the criteria that says this is a Les Paul. And gets you the sound of this is a Les Paul and you get the most for your money out of it. Um, 
the three. So that- let me let me define what would be not a bang for buck for me. What would not be a bang for buck for me is like one of those custom shop special editions that cost you like twelve grand. That's not a bang for buck because it's not about tone; it's about aesthetics at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what would also not, but I would also put in that category is one of those like a Chipson. Buying something that is not a Gibson, it's made in China, but has a Gibson logo on it. That to me does not say bang for buck because you're also supporting something that is stealing someone else's brand and everything. And it causes a market confusion. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I agree, you know, the, uh, I always think used but we'll just say used for the sake of conversation. Yeah. That and I'm you, fine with that. You can find a used, a really nice used Les Paul for, you know, a really nice one for, you know, $1,400, $1,500. Um, mm-hmm. You could buy a, 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 a custom shop one for, like you said, six, seven grand. It's not going to sound any different than that $1,400, $1,500 one. So you're, you're paying for the quilted maple top or you know and that right. it was coming and it's a really great guitar and yeah maybe there is some well and possibly a custom neck yes like a d- little bit of a ne- different neck carve but as far as sound so i guess when you go bang for your buck you know the ones that jump to mind obviously the uh the les paul studio it doesn't have all mm-hmm. the uh frills to it you're not going to get right. it's just a painted body so it's it's not a fancy piece of wood but it's still the same quality of wood it just didn't have the it just wasn't fancy enough that they said, oh, we shouldn't paint over top of this. Right. You know, those you can, you can find, you know, really, you know, to the five to $800 range. And they're called the studios because they were, they were meant to be really good sounding Les Pauls mm-hmm. uh, that um, you didn't need them to look really fancy because you're not standing on a stage. They're literally made to, you're in the recording studio and you just care what it sounds like. You don't care if it has all the fancy right. bindings and all that. And, mm-hmm. and so those are still hard to beat. Um, Epiphone, you know, the Pro Series, Epiphone Pro Series, they make a really good, yeah. cheaper uh, Les Paul style guitar. That it's mm-hmm. it's it's worth checking out. I uh, I was really impressed yeah. with it. That it's you know because I'm kind of a purist. I'm like, yeah, it's it's an Epiphone because the headstock doesn't look like the Gibson, but no, nope. but that guitar—it's not that open book or that mustache look to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But that guitar, the Pro Series, it's really good, and it's a, so I yeah, I would have no problem recommending that to somebody as a uh, a good bang for your buck. Um, a couple other companies, ESP. I played some of theirs that are really great. There's there's a company named Schechter. That one, oh, yeah. if I was looking for another Les Paul, I'd probably be checking out uh, some of their new models. Those those things are uh, fantastic. And they're also in that same price point new, you know, the $1,200 range, and which I know is still a lot of money. But if you can find one of those used, you know, then you're talking to the five to 700 And they're really great. Right. Yeah. When I look at the bang for buck, when I look at... You know, I want all the things that I want. Now, I'm somewhat of an aesthetics guy. A a studio will not work for me. The only reason why a studio will not work for me is I want the binding. I also want the pearl inlay on the headstock where it says Gibson. It's all aesthetic. Does that account for tone at all? (laughs) No. 
Not at all. But also keep in mind that part of how you play is the mojo behind it. It's crazy to me that I can play a Les Paul Jr. and it has no frills at all and one pickup and I can go, man, so much mojo. And then I pick up a Les Paul Studio, which in all honesty is twice the guitar and go, ugh, what a piece of crap, <laughs> you know? And, and it's not true. They're excellent guitars, but it's, it's my attitude towards it. Mm-hmm. So when I look at Bang for Buck, I'm looking for still having some of the things like the pearl inlay, the, the binding on the neck, the binding on the body. I don't care if it has the flame top, although a flame top is nice. I choose the Les Paul Classic. To me, the Les Paul Classic still fits all the criteria that says I am a standard Les Paul, but gives you a little bit of the no frills. You still get some of that, you get that nitrocellulose lacquer finish, which actually I prefer. I prefer to have my wear spots showing on a guitar. Mm-hmm. And Maybe you don't like the pickups and you need to change the pickups. Well, you know what? I feel like half the people change their pickups anyway. So who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, you still get a hard case. You, you still get the same Gibson volume and tone pots. You know, you still get a lot of the same features. And so I would say to me, if we're talking about a Les Paul, which I've already defined is single cut, toggle at the top. It has a Gibson on the on the the front, and it has this mid top to it. Best bang for buck for me is that. Now I also understand that not a whole lot of people can spend thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars used on a Les Paul Classic, and so that's the reason why I will say honorable mention easily goes to what Epiphone's putting out right now. I agree. Epiphone is nailing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean. Their custom brand new is going for like $800. I think their inspired series is going for like five, six hundred dollars. They're not inspired, but the uh, you know, their regular series is still in that four or five hundred dollar range. And that's all new pricing, which only leads me to believe that you can easily knock off 20%, sometimes 50%, and now all of a sudden you're getting their inspired series for, you know, 300 bucks, 400 bucks. You're getting their Les Paul customs for $400, $500. And so to me, if I were looking for a bang for buck and I didn't have $1,000 to spend, I'd be getting an Epiphone. If Owen, my oldest son, said, I, I want a Les Paul, and I was willing to buy him one, he mowed the lawn, he clean the house, he reshingled the roof, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and I was going to buy something for him, I would buy him an Epiphone. You know, I still keep an eye out for the Epiphone Elite series. They Oh, yeah. They discontinued it because it was too good. They did. It was too good. It was so good. They uh, And so I, I was kind of surprised because I totally agree with you that some of the new stuff right now with Epiphone is kind of getting back up to that level of like, you know... <laughs> You don't want to cut into your your Gibson logo market, but you're you're kind of making these up to the point that you did with the Elite series that you know you might be cutting into your 
profit margin or what is that? Profit share or whatever the term well, is. Well, and, and you're right, a whole lot. And the thing is, is that then there's people like me, that vain person that says, well, but it can't say Epiphone. I understand. John Lennon played an Epiphone. I don't care. Hmm. I want it to say Gibson, <laughs> you know? Me too. And and I know it's vain and I'm okay with it fa- being vain. <laughs> I'm okay with it being vain. I have no problem with that. Now, if I were a starving musician and this is all I do and all I can do with my life is listen to a podcast and play guitar and I have no other means, I would have no shame mm-hmm. in playing an Epiphone Les Paul. Mm-hmm. So I guess that brings us to probably final thoughts. So do you have any final thoughts on this? Talk about our journey to a Les Paul. I do was thinking about what it was that I love and hate about a Les Paul. You know, it's kind of like me and Pepsi. I'm kind of synonymous. People think of me with Pepsi in one hand and a Les Paul in the other and can't really imagine me playing something <laughs> else. Because I, once I find something, I just stick with it. Although someday we'll have to talk about tellies because that's, that's a road that I've finally ventured on that's really great. But we I got to do speakers first, though. Yes, we do. But <laughs> Les Pauls, um, I love, you know, uh, I love that, as like I said, the volume knobs out of the way so I can really play those. I like the way, the way it feels. I like the sound of it for the rock and roll that I want. But I, there are some things that I don't like. I don't like that I can't get really high up past like the 16th fret. I don't like yep. that my mahogany, if it's sitting on a stand and it falls over, it, the, the neck might f- like shatter. You know, whereas my yeah, standard right. with me, you know, I, I don't like that. Uh, that's just kind of the way the way they are. I don't like that, even though I understand the convenience of the two volume knobs, because I do. I love working my volume control on all my guitars while I'm playing. I do that more yep. and more as I've gotten older. When you flip it to the neck pickup, the volume knob is so far away, I, I can't work it in the same way. And so I always mm-hmm. go, that's why I have a volume pedal. Um, right after my tuner, the first thing that I go into is a volume, and and, and mm-hmm. I use that as as my gain knob, and so I can work it with my foot. I, I wish that I could still have this the one volume knob control both pickups. Yep. So there are things that I don't love about the Les Paul, but things that I'm yep. willing to just let let fly because the the pros are so much better than the negatives. I'm with you. I think that anybody out there who has never owned a Les Paul should do their best to do what you and I have done and basically go out there, play a bunch of them and don't buy it (laughs) unless it's just absolutely perfect. Fine. But go out there, play a bunch of them. Don't buy it. Sleep on it. Put it on hold, put on layaway, whatever it takes, get your money back later and then go back and play it again. And if it feels right the second time, third time, Get that thing, and you will not regret it. That's smart advice for any purchase. You know, that's just not Gibson related. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I'm also in the the vein, if it doesn't have that name on it, and it doesn't, you know, look exactly like what a Les Paul looks like, I don't care if it sounds like it. I'm still, it's, I want the real thing. Yep. That's why I got two. Well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you liked what you heard, leave five stars and a review. Also, 
Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. Until next time. 